And we visited uh, with the idea of, of community and what that looks like. And that community brings either competition or strength. And any time that we get more than one individual together, there's going to be that tension there, right? Um, and, and so we, we looked at, looked at that, that power applied and oppression is evil. We also looked at the idea that our work cannot prove um, our worth because it in no way improves our standing with God. Um, and so we took a look at uh, some of these, these beautiful things, but we also looked at the other side and a challenge that when we isolate, when we turn our ears away from wise counsel, we may be in sin in doing that, and we also may be protecting our sin in doing that when we isolate and we don't want to hear from the community. And so we, we recognize that God can speak through community. Um, and so today, we're actually going to take a look at this idea of worship. Uh, and so we're going to look at authentic worship. And it's, it's an interesting thing to look at here in light of the fact that Ecclesiastes was written so long ago. And, and, and when, we, when we think about worship today, that certainly we think about worship through the lens of a 20th and 21st century um, perspective. There's a worldview. We, we, we don't live in a vacuum. There's no way in which we can uh, look at, at any of this and say, I am perfectly free and neutral and there's no biases going on. Anytime we think about worship, we're going to look at it through whatever lens that we currently have in front of us. And so I want to ask this question um, as, as we begin, and, and this question is, what is worship? So when you think of worship, what, what comes to mind? You know, because I think if you think of the word worship, just the word worship in our Christianese, we think of, of music, we think of singing. But if you, if you put it together in a phrase, an act of worship, the word's still there, but now you have a whole phrase, an act of worship, you don't think of only music, do you? You think of it in bigger picture. You can think of an act of worship, maybe obedience, being obedient to God. That's an act of worship. Um, it could be giving to the poor. That could be an act of worship, act of service. All of these different things could be acts of worship. So have in your mind what this means when we talk about worship, because it's, it's interesting when we start to look at worship from another perspective. Consider idolatry. Maybe, maybe you've never been to India. I've never been to India, but I've seen images of um, the goddess Vishnu. She's got eight arms, and uh, people in India... They worship this Hindu goddess, Vishnu. Do you think that they are only worshiping Vishnu when they're singing songs? I don't really know what it's like. I don't know that they have, like, uh, Vishnu worship music. I don't, I don't have any idea. But certainly it's more than just singing, isn't it? There's, there's a submission, there's a surrender of all of your life. And so we'll unpack this idea today as we uh, work through the major doctrine, which is to draw near to God in order to hear from God, is to avoid vanity in worship. So to draw near to God in order to hear from God is to avoid vanity in worship. So if you will stand with me and we'll begin um, our scripture today in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're going to read verse 1 through 7, and we're going to focus in on the first three verses, primarily verse 1 and 2 this morning, but we're going to read all the way through verse 7. It says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they don't know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. 
When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you owe. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. So we're going to make two basic stops this morning. Um, and you should see it in your bulletin. The first stop is we're going to take a look at the, there's a right way to prepare for worship. So there's a right way to prepare for worship. Um, and then the second, the second stop that we will make is we'll take a look at true worship. So the first stop is there's a right way to prepare for worship. And the second one is that there is true worship. Is there a, can I get that handheld, Bruce? Thank you. So let's, let's begin here. So when we look at this, verses 1 through 3, it says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to, to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know what they are doing is evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Um, so what, what we see here in this very first step here is that there is a way in which we prepare. Let me switch. Thank you. So there's a way in which we prepare to worship. Um, so there's an interesting concept. If you look at this, it says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. What does it mean? I want to ask that question. What does it mean to guard your steps? Is it, it's, it's not simply to, to just look at your feet and to walk in a, in, a, in a way that you're really placing your feet in the correct spot. Um, yesterday, Gabe was working with me in the workshop, and he tripped and almost fell. And I told him, I said, in here, you've got to deliberately plan every step that you take. Because if you trip on something in here, you may get hurt. But there's a way in which you, you plan your steps when you come to the house of the Lord. But it's not just simply on the way to church, you get everything together. You know, everyone's had one of those Sundays before, haven't you? I mean, it's, it's this idea that we are on our way to church and there's just massive blow up and chaos in the car. But you get in the church parking lot, what do you do? Everyone, regroup because we're going to be seen by people now. We are Christians, we believe in Jesus, and we love each other. We will finish this after church, right? So you get everything together. You're guarding your steps to the, you know, that's not the point. The point isn't to, to simply get your life together before you come to church as if uh, while you're in church, everything is perfect uh, because you've done this self-reformation on the way there. That's not the point. And In Ecclesiastes, Solomon is not saying get your life together, be perfect, be righteous, be holy, be completely everything in order before you come to the house of the Lord. That's not what he's saying, but there is an, there is an idea here that's worth considering. Um, and, and, I, and I believe that the preacher points out that authentic worship actually happens and begins before we get to church. And part of what's happening is that we are, we are looking at worship with a sense of awe and reverence, that we, we recognize that you can't just be flippant in this. You can't step before the holiest God, you know, the, the holy of holies. You can't step before the God of the universe and say, ah, this really isn't that important. But sometimes we do that, don't we? Sometimes we step foot in church, and we do not think about it being a holy place at all. We do not think that we're actually standing in the presence of the God of the universe. Sometimes we just say, this is a nice building. We got heat and air. There's going to be some music that's going to play. There's going to be some videos. There's going to be someone who's going to talk for about 35 minutes. I'll tune out after about the first 10 minutes. 
but we'll get through this and then there's lunch. Right? That's, that's kind of sometimes what we sit in here and do. And sometimes we get on our phones and all we're doing during the whole time is we're just looking up stuff. What do I want to buy on Amazon? What, what new thing is out there? We're checking our Facebook. We're on Instagram. Or we're doing something other than actually focusing our hearts and our minds before the God of the universe. Why? Because I, I believe that there's a part in which we don't actually believe that what we're doing is what we're doing. I believe that there's a part in which we come to church and we don't actually feel like or think that we're literally standing in front of the God of the universe. Now, don't get me wrong, God doesn't live here. It isn't like he lives in one of the offices in the office area and he comes out here and hangs out with us for, for a couple of hours on Sunday morning. That's not the point. God is everywhere. There is not a single place you can go where God is not. But you are intentionally coming before him to draw near to him when you come to the house of worship. So we have to prepare our minds, we have to prepare our hearts to do that with intentionality. And I want to I wanna ask a question. When we, when we say there's a right way to prepare for worship, we have to ask, who is the object of our worship? And, and the correct Sunday school answer is Jesus, right? Um, the more technical answer is God, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's, we're, we're coming to worship and draw near to God. But I want to ask you a question, and I don't, I don't want a response, but I want you to think through this. Um, do you know God? Do you know God? And if you do know God, tell me what he's like. Now, I'm asking this rhetorically. I don't want you to actually respond, but think if, if it was just you and me, and we sat down in one of these chairs, and I asked you, do you know God? And you said, yeah, I know God. And I said, tell me what he's like. What would you tell me? Where would you start? Would you start with telling me all the things he's done for you? There's nothing wrong in thinking that's part of who God is, is the things he does for us. But that's not who God is. Who is he? Not what has he done for you lately. Who is he? Or maybe, maybe you're on the other side, and, and maybe you're a skeptic, and you're like, I'm not even sure I believe in God. And so when I ask, do you know God, you may say, no, I don't even think he's real. Well, what is this God that you don't believe in? Because maybe I don't believe in them either, right? Because there's certain views of God that we can have that are not true. We can have false ideas of God. And so when we say we come to worship, we may be worshiping not in truth, but a false idea of God, or we may not even believe he exists at all, or maybe we have this concept of God, and who he is is really beyond us because we really don't know him. You can't worship what you don't know. And so I want you to have in your mind, do you know God? And, and, and if you do, what would you say he is like? Because part of guarding our steps to get, get ready to go to the house of worship to guard our steps when we go to the house of God includes this, this concept of knowing who we are coming to worship. Preparing our hearts to stand before the God of the universe, the one who actually made you, the one who made everything. That's who we're coming to meet with, and that's who we're coming to draw near to. And so I want to I I highlight two ideas in this preparation. What does it mean to watch your steps? I think first is to, is to get our hearts right. So I want to put the word heart up there, and I want you to write in your bulletin, heart. And I want you to ask this question, where is my heart before the God of the universe? 
Where is your heart for the God of the universe? Is it hardened by sin? Isn't it certainly possible that you step into this room or any other house of worship and you're, you're intentionally being here to worship God, but yet your heart is hardened by sin? There's a way in which we prepare to come to meet and draw near with God, and part of that is to question where our hearts are so our hearts may be hardened by sin. Maybe we secretly are hiding from God even while we're here, right? Is it possible to be here but not be here? It is, isn't it? So I'm not talking about whether or not you like this style of music. Worship is way more than just any one particular style of music. It is about our heart and who is the object of our worship. And when we come before God, we've got to ask ourselves, what is my heart like? Is it hardened by sin? Am I secretly hiding from God even though I'm here? Is my heart on worldly things, on fleshly desires that war against the desires of the flesh? It's possible that that's where our heart is. And it's right to consider the condition of our heart before God, before we come to worship him. And, and, and I can tell you, um, it is very possible for us as believers to come to the house of God, and yet we have not this whole week been near him. Do you think that there's something magic that happens when you walk through the front door? No. Because our relationship with God extends beyond this room. And so when we talk about corporate worship, you've got to, you've got to understand that your private worship informs your corporate worship. There is no corporate worship truly if your private worship is dead. If there's no vitality, if there's no life there, how can your corporate worship be alive? How is it not just going through the motions? How can it be a natural outflowing of your nearness and love towards God? So the second one, motives. I want you to write down motives. You know, sometimes when we, when we come to worship, um, it's really a self-serving type of thing. Um, I want to ask you this question. Do you think that in some way your being here puts you in a more favorable light? as if you get credit for doing something hard? Do you think that showing up puts you in a favorable light with God because you've done something hard, now you've earned his favor? It doesn't work like that. Where, where is our motivation? Sometimes people think, okay, you know what? If I go to church on Sunday and I throw a $20 bill in the plate when it passes by, then now God owes me something. He, what's he going to do for me? Well, he's going to make sure that everything goes well for me at my work. And you know what? If I, if I pray hard enough and I show up to church at least three times a month, then probably he'll help me pass my calculus test. Right? We've got these ideas that now somehow God owes me because I've done something hard, something laborious. I showed up and I sat in this room and listened to music. I mm, could either go for or not really go for. I listened to someone mm, I can't really connect with. Or I do connect with, but it's still kind of a struggle. There's other things I'd rather be doing. So this was hard for me. This was real hard. God, do you see how much I suffered for your name's sake? Like, that's what we think of sometimes, isn't it? But man, you owe me now. You bet, what, what am I getting out of this? And that's how we approach God. So our hearts can be wrong, but our motives can be wrong as well. And, and, and this, is, this is the idea. When we look at this, he says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And he says, to draw near and to listen is better than offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. So there's this idea 
that we can go through the motions and offer the sacrifice of fools and flippantly expressing worship. When we reduce worship down to just singing some songs to God, I believe that in that way, um, we are offering the sacrifice of fools. I want to put this up on the screen. When we just go through the motions and part expecting to gain favor with God by showing up, we are offering the sacrifice of fools. Now, I'm not saying that that's in the text. That's not explicit in the text, but I think it's a valid observation. Um, but what he does is he points to our words here. And I think that in part, when we sing either bad theology or we sing things we don't really mean, we are offering the sacrifice of fools. What you'll see is you'll see a connection there um, with, with words. And we're going to unpack this in our next section when we look at true worship. Um, but there is something to be seen here that words matter. And in, in, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is putting this emphasis on words. If you look, if you just trace through one through seven and look at words and mouth, if you circled all of those, you'll see a thing start to appear. Our words matter. Our words in worship matter. And so he starts to build these relationships. But let me, let me, let me ask you, have you ever been singing a song and a line goes by and you're like, hmm, I don't think that's right. Have you ever, have you ever experienced that? I've experienced that, and sometimes I think it's just best just to not sing it, but at the same time, it kind of grieves your soul, right? You're like, are we really corporately coming together to say some things to God that aren't even true? Why, why would we do that? It's an interesting thing to get, to get that in, into our worship that we would not only have our hearts and our minds in other places, but actually we would intentionally write songs, write words that we're supposed to sing to God as a sacrifice to God, but it's bad theology. It's not actually talking about who he is. Could you imagine someone writing a song about you and then getting a lot of things in your life wrong? And when someone says, hey, here's a song I wrote about, you know, you, and they start singing it and you're halfway through and you're like, yeah, that's real nice, but most of that wasn't right. Like, how would you feel in that? You'd kind of be like, uh. But just think about this. If the emphasis is on that, you're actually meant to be magnifying, glorifying God's worth, adoring him, bowing down before him. But the words we say are either incorrect about him or we don't mean them. There's a real way in which we are offering the sacrifice of fools. Now, I want us to look at this, uh, this idea a little bit further. So true worship. As I said in the beginning, do you know God? And if you do know him, tell me what you think he's like. What is he like? Because before worship can come, there has to be a couple of things. I think there has to be a relationship, and there has to be knowledge, and there has to be love. And, and knowledge and relationship go hand in hand because you can't really have a relationship with someone you don't know, right? That's kind of relationship 101. So when we start to talk about worship, we have to know some things about God. In the scripture all over, and, it, and there's some explicit places, when Jesus is meeting with the woman, do you remember? She says, where should we worship? Should we worship here or in the mountain? Or she's asking these questions down in Jerusalem. And he says, that, here's, here's the deal. There's a day that's coming where the Father will seek out those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And Jesus, even back then, was emphasizing it's not about where you worship. It's about the nature of your worship. Is your, is your worship rooted in spirit and in truth? There's an emphasis on knowledge. There's a rightness in knowing who God is. And if we don't know who he is or we get that wrong, 
In that way, we are not worshiping in spirit and in truth. So we have to watch ourselves that when we start to worship God and it's not aligning with who he actually is, that's starting to slip into idolatry. We're building an idol. We're building an image of God in a way that he is not. And when we start to foster a relationship with him. Now, this is an interesting thing to think about because imagine, imagine that you have a human relationship. Let me just say my wife. Um, let's just imagine when we were first were dating and I'm trying to learn about her. And she tells me some things, but I got a really bad memory, and I can't keep any of this stuff straight. So I start filling in things from old girlfriends, and I start to tell other people about my new girlfriend, and I tell them facts about my old girlfriend. How would she feel? She'd be like, what? No. But there's, there's a sense in which that's exactly what we do when we start, to, we start to build and foster a relationship with an image of God that's not true. It's, it's a serious thing for us to consider who is he and where do we find out what he's like here in his word. He's revealed himself to us. And so if anyone starts to tell you about what God is like and it doesn't line up with the scripture, we've got to watch it because we may be looking at someone who has begun to foster an idea of, of a false god. And they now are fostering a relationship with that false god. And that is not a good place to be. So in this idea of coming up to God, guard our steps when we go to the house of God, to draw near to listen, it's better than offer the sacrifice of fools. What we're actually doing when we draw near to God to listen is we want him to tell us what he is truly like. We want him through his word to question our presuppositions. We ask him to challenge the ideas that we have about him that aren't right. Isn't that, isn't that part of what we should do in worship? We should come to the scripture and say, God, I want to worship you in spirit and truth. So please show me the ways in which I've built this idea of you that is not right. It's not who you are. I've built some idea of you around my preferences of what I would like you to be like. Because maybe I've got some pet sins that I would like to protect and you really don't mind them. Whatever it may be, we can fill in that blank. But I want us to have this, 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 this thing in our minds that before worship comes, a relationship based on true knowledge and love must precede that. And there's this beautiful idea that, that, that we have to look at. And it comes through um, the end of verse 1. It says, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. I want to put this on the screen and we'll read it. To draw near to listen, take note is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Circle that. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash or quick with your mouth. Underline that. Nor let your heart be hasty to utter. Circle that. A word. Circle that. Before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words. Circle that. Be few. Do you see this relationship that he's building? There's this interesting idea, and I, I, I love this quote from Alexander Pope, who's an 18th century um, English poet. He says, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Let us not be fools who rush in to speak quickly before God. But we should slow down and to look at true worship. In part, true worship consists in us drawing near to God to do one thing, to listen Draw near to God to listen. 
And, and this is a beautiful thing because you see what, there's a contrast here. So if you were following with me and maybe you got a, a really cheap Bible that you're okay with writing in, um, you know, one that you stole from the hotel or something like that, not a good one that you actually paid for. If you're circling and underlining these words, now my, I'm reading ESV here. It says, to draw near to listen, I have here in my notes, I've underlined that. But I also have an arrow going back. Okay, so if, if you're imagining with me here, he um, says the sacrifice of fools. So what I did was I drew a box around the word sacrifice of fools. But you can from that box draw an arrow backwards to listen, and that's a contrast. Because the sacrifice of fool can be reduced to excessive talking. It, the, the theme here in the commentaries that, 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 that you can find on this will point to this fact that excessive talking seems to be the sacrifice of fools. There's a theme. So he's contrasting this excessive talking with listening. So I drew an arrow back to say contrasted with listening. And then you can go forward with two things. It says the idea of be not rash or quick with your mouth. And then at the end of it, therefore let your words be few. Because what this, what this preacher is building is this idea of that when we stand before God and we, we talk too much, we are offering the sacrifice of fools. I want you to think about that. When you stand before God, the proper response, true worship, is to draw near to him and to shut your mouth and to listen. We'd ask God to speak. I don't know about you, but I've, I've, I've encountered people who have a hard time giving any room to anyone else in the room to talk. Have you ever, have you ever come, come up with anyone, ever met anyone like that? They just kind of suck the air out of the room. Everyone's like, oh, <laughs> they're just using it all to talk. Um, there's a point in which it's very, very hard to build true relationships with those types of people. Why? Because they never stop. You don't ever get to ask any questions. You never get to hear uh, from them where you would like to. And, 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 and it's just this one-way monologue. So believe that the preacher here is, is telling us part of the way we guard our steps when we go to the house of God is to prepare for a good monologue. Not from us to God, but from God to us. That we are literally saying, I'm inviting you, God, to speak. Because I've been doing a lot of talking, I've been doing a lot of thinking, I've been doing a lot of other things, but I want to set some, some time aside to literally sit before you, to draw near, and to listen to you. Because it's better for me to shut my mouth and listen. Because I've got opinions, I've got all sorts of things, but right now I want to put all of those on hold because I want to hear from you. And that's a tough thing to do. To literally stop and say, God, speak to me. And then actually focus. Because you know what you'll be tempted to do? You'll be tempted immediately to bounce your mind back to other things. It is so hard to stay focused and to actually invite God to speak. It can seem like eternity when only a couple minutes have passed by and you're trying to stay focused. Maybe meditating on his word. You got one idea that you're saying, God, teach me. Show me what you're like. And I want to wrestle with this. They say the old Greek mathematician Archimedes, uh, th that he was really good at being able to put a tough 
problem right in the front of his mind, the center of his mind, and he would wrestle with it, not letting it go. That's what we're to do, to meditate on the word of the Lord. And when you do that, there's no room for anything else to slip in. But it's really hard to do that. And it's, it's a strength, and it's, it's, a, it's a thing that we can grow in in endurance. Just like when you read a book that's hard to understand the first time, then the second time it's a little easier, then the third time it's a little easier. That's what happens. We can build up that endurance when we come in pre- preparation for true worship before God to say, God, I want to I grow this muscle of listening. My listening muscle is really weak right now, but I want to grow this muscle, if I can put that in anatomical terms. I want to be able to listen to you and grow my ability to listen to you because I say so much all the time, I want to stop and listen. But I want to put this word in, in picture in your mind. When we think about worship, you know, I think that it's, that's, that it's possible as immature gift givers that we give gifts that we like, not necessarily the gifts that the person we would, are giving to would actually like. Have you ever seen that? Um, I mean, that's, that's part of, of, of growing up and becoming a, a mature human. We, just, we have to learn that, that not everyone likes what we like. But beginning, we're like, I really like this thing, so you must really like one too. So I'll buy you one. And they get it, and they're like, I'm not really into this. And you kind of feel like, why not? I love it. But there's a maturity in gift giving that when you actually say, I want to know you, I want to study you, I want to know what you like, because the best gift I can give you is one that you are going to appreciate, right? There's a maturity in that. Now, inverse that and think about that from God's perspective. Is it possible that when we think of worship that we're actually putting our preferences first? We're saying, this is what I like, God. Let me give you what I like. And the focus is on us rather than on him, Is that not possible? So I heard this from D.A. Carson, and it's a little controversial, so take it with a grain of salt. But D.A. Carson said one time, he said, can you imagine God up in heaven and saying to an angel nearby, saying, I can't wait until Sunday, because they're going to get out those electric guitars, and they're going to dim the lights, they're going to fog up the room, the laser light show, they're going to put incredible graphics on the screen. I can't wait. Can you imagine God saying that? Hardly, right? Now, before I give one side too much ammunition, the heart can be the same if you're just playing a piano or you're just, you just got a choir together. If the heart isn't right, if it's preference versus praise, if it's about me, if it's about you, God is gonna be, God, God's response is going to be the same as saying, what are you giving me? You're giving me something that's about you. And so sometimes I wonder, sometimes I wonder if, 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 if some... Uh, have it right in that they just get together and they just sing the psalms together. I'm not saying that that's what we should do, but, I'm, but I wonder sometimes. See, let's, let's focus on who this is about because it's not our preference. It's about surrendering and drawing near to the God of the universe with our hearts purified, saying, God, check my heart, check my motives, check the gift I'm bringing you. And besides that, Check the words. Am I simply offering you vanity in worship? Or is this actually pleasing to you as I draw near to you? Because to draw near to, to listen is better is what he says here. And, and, and he says, let your words be few. You know, I think better sometimes is a few sincere words. 
and just let it, let it lie. And just to sit in silence before the Lord. Even journaling. Sometimes it's, it's, it's best instead of to ramble on, write a couple of good, good blurb, and then just meditate, think on it. Because sometimes in our own thinking we can get derailed again. And now we've written a whole page of nonsense as if that was something meaningful to, to, to our time before the Lord. I'm not trying to criticize writing a lot. Do that. But sometimes a few words before the Lord in the presence of the Lord is much more meaningful, much more valuable than for us to stand before God and just to spew. Does that make sense? And so this is a beautiful idea I want us to close with. When we're, when we're looking at how do we come before God, I want to put it up on the screen. To draw near to hear from God is to avoid the vanity of inauthentic worship. Because it's possible to worship in vanity, to worship in vain. For God, the one that we are designing our worship for, that we are pushing our worship to, it's possible for him to look at it and say, what, what is this? And I'm reminded of, of, of Psalm 51, where it says, a broken and humbled heart, a contrite heart, right? That's the true sacrifice that God is interested in. And you know how you get that? You get that by putting God in his right place in your mind. And I want to read a couple of things that I listed that I think are, are part of that as I was meditating this week on what does it mean to draw near to God, to hear from him, to have a broken and humbled heart that is ready to hear from God, the heart that is prepared for worship. I think a couple of these things are worth noting. One, admire God. I think that's how our prayers should start. Our prayers should not start even with thanking God for the things he's given us. As I said, if I ask you to tell me what God is like, you might start to talk about what he's done for you. That's not who God is. Admire him for who he is. His, his infinite worth, his justice, his righteousness, his holiness, his beauty, his infinite wisdom, his infinite goodness. Admire him, but also humble ourselves before him. Obey him, repent of our sins, walk with him daily through prayer and meditating on his word. If you think that worship only happens when a few people get on this stage and sing some songs, you're missing it. Because worship should be something that you do all week long. As we pray and meditate, as we confess our sins, as we serve others, as we give sacrificially, as we forgive others, as we love, this is worship. And I want to put three things, actually four things, on your mind as we close. I think genuine worship results in these. One, that we would delight in God. When we genuinely worship God, we delight in him. Do you know what it means to delight in something? To get joy from it? it just, just, just picture a child who's gotten a new toy, and they just can't put it down. They're delighted in it. Do you feel that way towards God? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not chastising you. I'm ask, do you feel that way? Because that's what genuine worship should produce. It should result in our delighting in God. But also it, it results in he delights in us. Have you ever thought of that? That we delight in God, but it's not just a one-way street. That God delights in the worshipers uh, who would come before him in worship and spirit and truth. God loves that. Like, that's literally what we were made for. Like, there's this beautiful relationship that as we delight in God, he delights in us. But also, 
We draw near to God, but when we draw near to God, the scripture says he draws near to us. So delight in God, he'll delight in you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And I want you to think through as we close. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach, admonish one another in all wisdom, and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let's stand and let's close this morning. There's a lot more that can be said here. But as the preacher is going through, he says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer a sacrifice of fools. Verse 2, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. Therefore, let your words be few. And I know this is not an um, exciting, man, let's go take over the world message. But it's a message we've got to hear that there's a way in which we can worship God that it can be vanity. And there's a way in which we can worship God that we are actually putting our preferences above his praise. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this hard but good passage of scripture that tells us to prepare for worship to guard our steps as we enter your house. And Father, I pray that you teach us what it means to prepare our hearts well, to confess our sins, to call into question the false views we have of you. And Father, as we grow in our faith and our knowledge of you, I pray that that will be one of our desires is to see you clearly for who you are and as you are so that we might worship in spirit and in truth. And Father, as we are in this world, we are torn and distracted by so many things. I pray, God, that you will give us a hunger and a desire to worship you in spirit and in truth in private that then informs our corporate worship. And Father, I pray that you convict our hearts if we ever make worship about us. If the word preference ever enters our mind when we are worshiping you, may it be only in the light that I prefer to worship in spirit and truth than in falsehood. May that be truly what we mean. May we say what we mean, and may our words be few, so that we may draw near and actually hear from you. So, Father, I pray that as we set some time aside right now to do that, that you will speak to us. In Jesus' name. Right now, I, I want to practice that. I want to do just that. I want to take, as this song is sung over us, I want you to focus on who God is. Do you know God? And I want you to be quiet in your heart and in your mind, to not think about anything else that you're going to do the rest of the day, what you're going to eat for lunch, none of that. I want you to focus on God and ask him to speak to you. Tell him, I'm here. I'm drawing near to you. I'm here to listen to you.